the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here. I hope you are enjoying this beautiful fall day, wherever you happen to be. I hope it's a beautiful fall day. And today we're sitting down with Chad Veach. Today's episode is brought to you by the Art of Leadership Academy's Church Growth Accelerator. I've got a free workshop. You're going to learn five different ways you can grow your church in the next 12 months and leave with a game plan to carry it out. Go to churchgrowthaccelerator.com to register and by ProMediaFire. Sign up today for their free recession-proof growth strategy webinar. Simply go to promediafire.com slash recession-proof. So we're going to go there today. We're going to talk about celebrity pastors, preachers, and sneakers. And then we have a really practical conversation on re-engaging people in the local church. Chad Veach is the founder and lead pastor of Zoe Church in Los Angeles, California, a dynamic community right in the heart of L.A., For the past two decades, he has dedicated his life to ministry and to preaching the gospel. In addition to leading Zoe, he's an international speaker, the author of three books, and the host of Leadership Lean In, a top-charting leadership podcast. So it's so good to have Chad. This one was long overdue. And I hope wherever you are that this helps you. I know a lot of you who listen care about the church. Leadership is leadership. Uh, But whether you lead in the business context or whether you lead in the church context directly, I think Chad's got an awful lot to share. And just like everyone else, you kind of know that everything has changed except for your desire to lead your church better and reach new people. So the challenge, though, is a lot of churches aren't growing right now, and that's how I want to help you. So on October 24th and 25th, this is time sensitive, I'm hosting a free workshop. It's called the Church Growth Accelerator. And the people you'll meet there will guide you, challenge you, and push you to help find that in 2023. So I've got two 60-minute sessions where I'm going to teach you five different ways you can grow your church in the next 12 months, and I'll give you a game plan to carry it out. The best part, it's free, and you don't have to do it alone. So if you're interested, check it out. Go to churchgrowthaccelerator.com to register for free. I'd love to see you there. Bring your whole team, and I will be part of this journey with you. And then on hearing the word recession, which you hear a lot these days, have you experienced a little bit of fear around losing more people or a decline in finances? One of the worst things that you can do is allow fear to paralyze you, though, or to overreact by cutting too much. A lot of people made that mistake during COVID. So the good news is you can grow during a recession. It just requires a strategy. That's why ProMedia Fire is doing their recession-proof growth strategy webinar this month, and you're invited. It's a free event. It's for businesses, nonprofits, and churches. And in it, you'll learn three things. You'll learn about new technology advancements that can help you save money and grow. You'll discover how to hack your growth online with a new method. And you'll receive a digital next steps plan for your visitors. So you can grow during a recession. Sign up today for the recession-proof growth strategy webinar. Simply go to promediafire.com slash recessionproof. That's promediafire.com recessionproof. Well, let's dive into today's conversation. Here's my chat with Chad Veach. Well, Chad, welcome to the podcast. It's been a long time coming. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for the patience to make it happen. Yeah, well, it really works out. So we, we, you know, I'm curious always about the timing of, of when we get together. And we've talked about this, I think, our teams for about a year. But we've kind of, you know, I thought we'd be through it by now, but we're not. We've all been through this collective slump over the last few years. And everyone thinks, oh, hope's right around the corner and everything's going to be fantastic. And it's been 
super challenging. I want to start here. How has it hit you and your church, and how are you handling that? Um, well, it hit is the right word. It has <laughs> it, it has hit us, and and might I add, over and over again. Um, you know, I think yeah, you. You nailed it already in your question. Every time you think there's hope around the corner, it's like there's another obstacle and there's another layer or dynamic. And um, actually, you know, um, recently I was interviewing Craig about COVID and the realities of trying to come out of it. And he was saying he thinks that right now is the hardest time in all of COVID for leadership. And, uh, and And I, when he said that, I just resonated. I go, yeah, we're finding it's the hardest time now um, with all of the dynamics of the after effect, the great resignation, the, you know, uh, the political unrest, um, just so on and so forth, especially when it comes to our world of, as far as church attendance, church engagement, um, volunteer culture, all of it is is really an obstacle that we didn't face, I felt, in 2019. And so it has hit us. We, in LA here, we didn't meet on a Sunday morning for 17 months. Oh, wow. And so when you open back up, you're opening with a church. Now, for us here in California, especially L.A., there was a mass exodus. So you're facing an exodus. You're facing people that don't want to come back. Uh, there's a mask reality. There's a you said too much about uh, racism in June. You didn't say enough. There's just a lot of different you know, of course, I'm 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 preaching the choir here with you and your you, the information you gave us as a as a as a leadership group. But as it pertains to us here in LA, it really has affected us more than I thought it would, and it continues to. But I I think that I'm naive enough to believe hopes around the corner. <laughs> it's gonna get better today. I think well, you have to have that spirit and that attitude to be a leader. To be honest. Yeah, if there's no hope, like let's all just go home, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> what's the point? Um, I don't know. Apparently, I heard this from Sharon Hottie Miller, but it, apparently it goes back to John Tyson. But he talked about like the challenge. So I'm getting this third hand. So if I'm totally wrong, John, my apologies. Please text <laughs> me and correct me. But I thought it was a really incisive point. He said, you know, one of the challenges a lot of leaders have had is volunteers aren't coming back. And he linked it to perhaps over-delineating boundaries. So one of the ways I'm thinking of the last two years is I'm thinking of it in terms of the Great Reset. We talk about the Great Migration, you know, which happened. Everybody left town. Hundreds of thousands of people left California, went to Texas, went to Florida, went to Arizona and beyond. But also people moved from L.A. to the mountains or they moved to the desert or they moved somewhere else, right? And then, and then you've got all these volunteers coming back going, well, I'm rethinking everything, working from home. And so I'm not sure I'm in every Sunday for five hours anymore. And he said, we've almost over-delineated, if, if I've got this third-hand quote from John Tyson right, our boundaries. And I thought that was a really interesting way of framing it. What are you learning about re-engaging people at this stage yeah, I think that we are re-engaging uh, a little bit more cautious, more hesitant, uh, more understanding. I think maybe before we were a little bit more cutthroat and and there was a lack of sensitivity to schedule, uh, to outside demands. I think uh, I just got out of a meeting right now with our staff and we were looking at our average 
monthly uh, volunteer number versus our average weekly uh, volunteer number. And week to week, it doesn't look that massive. But if you look at everybody over a month, it is a large amount of people. And what that tells me to your point is that there's some people are just going to go, I'm there once a month I'm, I, or I'm there. If, people that were pretty hardcore before might give you two Sundays a month. And that's great. So I think we've got to just adjust our expectations. And um, it, it's it's amazing how strong shame culture can work in church. I think that we try and shame people into serving and shame people mm. into, you know, doing a, a, a better job. And if you're not here all day, if you're not here for five hours or not here every Sunday, you know, shame on you. And I think we've just adjusted the, the attitude of that whole thing. And maybe we got away with that before, wrongfully so. Now we're going, hey, whatever you can do is awesome. And we're really thankful that you would give any time. That's a really perceptive way of thinking it. You know, I hadn't hadn't thought about it. And again, I'm not in the weeds right now, like you are leading a local church day to day. But looking at the monthly volume versus the weekly, because I know like when I when I started in ministry in the mid-90s, I mean, if if you had, let's say, 100 people in attendance, just to pick a number in the air, you might have 120 people that called your church home. And, oh, you know, the Vichas weren't there because they were away this weekend or somebody <laughs> was sick. But you you kind of knew that. Or pick a 1,000. It's an easier number. 1,000 people. You might have 1,200 people. It's like, yeah, we haven't seen these guys for a few weeks. By the time I was done day-to-day ministry in 2015, you needed 4,000 people to be totally affiliated with your church to generate 1,200 in attendance on the weekend. Do you know what I mean? Like that, yes, that average, yes. whatever you call it, math is in my yes. strong suit. Yes. That, that ratio just kept going up and up and up. And I wonder if that's a really interesting way. Like, let's say you need 100 volunteers to run things on the weekend. That might mean you need 400 total volunteers now. That's exactly right. Yeah. Wow. And that's about that. that yeah. You know, so that that bigger number, that monthly number is a really encouraging number. If you only look at the week to week, then you get really discouraged. I One of the lines I stole from you, I think is so good. And I've told this to a number of pastors is it correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm misquoting you here, but any pastor that focuses just on attendance moving forward is not going to make it. But if you focus on yep. engagement, to me, that really helped me shift as far as I just thought that was good language. Hey, we're focused on engagement. So look at how many people are serving a month. That's great engagement. Mm-hmm. They're voting. You know, look at how and, and that are. vote probably counts more than it did five years ago. Right. That's exactly right. Or even like uh, giving units. Oh man, the giving units is 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 far is surpassing what it has ever been. So that tells me there's a lot of people that are watching online that are in person because the giving units to 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 in person attendance ratio it would be off the charts if it was real, but it's not. It's coming from online. So this is okay. If, if you're willing to go there, I'm willing to go there because I think this is a really practical discussion from somebody who's not an academic, but like, guess where you're going to be on Sunday? You're going to be at your church, right? So this is <laughs> yeah. this is a real conversation, uh, leading it. Um, so let's let's think about what is causing people to re-engage. So as your volunteers have stepped up, because being we were shut down about the same amount, about 18 months. And, you know, everybody at that point has to re-engage. You've got to check the box and say, I'm back. What have been some things that have worked 
in re-engaging volunteers? And then what have been some dead ends for you, if any? Um, I, I'll tell you about a dead end. We, we had a, a worship night for the volunteers uh, kind of early on. And um, I, it was one of the worst attended things we've ever done. And I, I was shocked, I, I, you know, because you think, oh, man, these guys, they want to be in the presence of God. They want to worship. They want to they yeah. be there. They want to be in the presence. And they were kind of going, nah, we are not interested in that right now. We love effective email communication. We love a, a Zoom meeting with our team leads or, you know, all of the volunteers. I just, I think that because everyone was conditioned to be on Zoom and on email, we just, we try to capitalize on meet people where they are right now. And, uh, and so I think just trying to meet people where they are, uh, both in a digital space, but then also being sensitive to the, to the in-person space and not trying to be in a rush. I think at first I wanted to rush everybody to be back. And then I realized by mm -hmm. their behavior, oh, that's going to be the wrong move. And so let's keep it digital. Let's do volunteer meetings on Zoom. Let's let's get all the team leads on Zoom. And 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 we haven't really deviated from that. This morning I had a this started out of COVID. Think about this. In COVID, I wanted to meet with our kingdom builders. And um, and so we emailed our our top, you know, whatever givers. Wednesday morning, 8:30 in the morning, meet us on this call. So first time we did it, you know, let's say 40, 50 people showed up. Well, if you would have told me in person that I get 40 or 50 of our top givers together, that would have been outrageous. Yeah. Well, we said, hey, we're going to do it in, in not every other week. We're going to do this uh, not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. We've been doing that. I did it this morning at 8.30 in the morning and 30 something people show up and we give them a full rundown of where we're at financially. I give them a five to seven minute encouragement. I tell them what to pray for, what's coming up on the calendar. I have somebody else kind of talk for a little bit. We've been doing that since COVID started. So in other words, what I'm saying is we just try to meet people where they're at and not deviate from that. Hmm. Okay, that's really interesting because I think you're doing the opposite of what most church leaders I know did, which is everybody back in the building, everybody back in the building. But you're right. I mean, you can read the Wall Street Journal or... Uh, New York Times or whatever, and you should see the the fight going on right now in downtown cores of people who don't want to go back to the office. It's like, I'm not going back to the office. And employers yeah. and employees are are struggling over that, mostly, you know, for white collar workers. If you drive a truck, you have to kind of be in the truck. But, you know, for people for people who work in those fields, it's really interesting. Here's, here's another question that I didn't send you in advance, but since we're there, that'd be fun to ask. Do you think there's a fundamental problem with the weekend service? Is it something that needs to be reimagined in light of the fact that so much of life has moved online? Is there enough of a carrot in front of the stick to draw people back on, on the weekends? I think, I mean, obviously I'm somebody that, you know, holds three in-person services a weekend. So I have to believe that there's something about being in the room. However, and I, I'm a church person, a church guy. I love church. I love being in the room. I love, you know, the, a corporate worship setting. I love community. I love, I think that the, the relational community aspect is just important as the service. So there's so many dynamics. There are kids ministry. I love all of it. I will say that there is such a large opportunity to reach people digitally. 
Now, do we re- need to reimagine our approach to reaching a lost world? Now, that goes without saying. And you know, to still another Craig line, to reach people nobody's reaching, we got to do things that nobody's doing. So if we just keep running the same play, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So I do think that we need to reimagine and we, we do need to put resource into not just our in-person meeting. I think, you know, uh, one of one of my best friends, and I think one of the great church leaders, especially in the digital space, Judah Smith, who has an insane in-person church in Seattle and has really pivoted to, you know, church home app and, and meeting people at home. One of his lines, uh, I'm hoping I'm not misquoting here, but he said something to the effect of, we spend millions to reach thousands instead of spending thousands to reach millions. And there's something there that I resonate with of going, yeah, we got to be careful that we're going to spend millions. We just bought a building, our first building, and we're going to spend a lot of money on a renovation. And this millions and millions of dollars. I hope that I wouldn't just focus on the in-person meeting alone, but also how do we redeem that space to send a bat signal out, so to speak, to also reimagine how can we reach people around the world. So I think, you know, you said it, anybody that focuses on attendance is going to miss out, but focus on engagement. So I think that needs to be our focus and we need to continually creatively innovate how we see Ecclesia. How do, what is the community in the digital space? Because I don't like it when people say, well, if it's online, it's not real. There's a lot of things going on online that are very real, man. And <laughs> I, I think you got to wake up. If that's your saying, you're missing. There's a lot of community happening online. So to, to a long answer to your question, I think it's and both. It's never one or the other to me. It's and both. What are you doing online that might be, or elsewhere in your church, that you might these days consider innovative? Stuff you wouldn't have imagined doing. You mentioned the the gathering the top donors together at eight thirty in the morning and doing a, a Zoom with them. What else are you doing to really fuel engagement at your church? I I, I think you know um, I would love to just continue to plagiarize. What is the saying? God gave you eyes, plagiarize. So I'm just <laughs> trying to steal the best practices of people that are doing you know really well. So we get get on calls at Elevation Church and try yeah. and find out what they're doing. We get on calls with you know obviously Life Church and. I think Vu does an amazing job in Miami, Rich Wilkerson Jr. And so we're just trying to steal other plays. For example, during 21 days of prayer and fasting, we go live every morning at 7.30 and try and get our church praying together for 21 days. Now here in LA, to get everybody together every morning, if I was in Birmingham, I think I could get a physical in-person meeting in LA uh, it's just kind of been a, a bigger hurdle. So we're trying to have a digital moment online for the church and we see massive turnouts. Now I'm a parent of four and I don't host these prayer meetings. So as this prayer meeting is going on, my phone is on my kitchen counter. We're making the breakfast. We're making the lunches. We're getting them out the door. They're in the car. My kids are in the prayer meeting with me. Now, is does that not count? No, my kids are hearing the word of God, encouragement, prayer themes. They're hearing from different voices in the church. They're getting a thought on the emphasis of the day. So I just think we got to, again, meet people where they're at. I'm a parent. My church met me where I'm at. 
Yeah, you know, you're still, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're still going live on Instagram semi-regularly, are you not? Absolutely. You will, because you remember in 2020, my whole, like, that top bar where stories normally are, if someone goes live, but that top bar was lit up every night at eight o'clock. It's oh. like everybody and their grandmother is going live on Instagram. And now there's a handful of people who are still doing that, but you're one of them. Yeah, and I think it's just an opportunity, like... Uh, Again, technology to me is nebulous. It's all about whose hands it's in. So I have the opportunity, are you, t- are you kidding me, to go live? And me and you could go live and speak to leaders. I mean, what an opportunity to not, you know, let's say you're marketing something. It's not just a sales opportunity. To me, there's a, there's a spiritual side of it. There's a prayer, encouragement, exhortation opportunity that's there for you 24-7 as well. So I think you got to take advantage of the resources that that uh, God's given you. And you get better. You learn through failure. I'll never forget, I was telling you before we started, but my father was a district supervisor You know, in that time when COVID started and he was trying to help all of his guys go live. And, uh, you know, small church planners or guys that, you know, might not have the resources. And he sent me a meme did you see that meme circulating when, when COVID first started, like pastors trying to go live from like an Al Qaeda cave or something like it was like, <laughs> like funny. guys couldn't, guys didn't know how to use Facebook or, you know, like every church had to go live quickly and, uh, and learn how to do that. And I think technology, my encouragement to people is like, don't be intimidated by it. Fail, fail forward, learn, try and get better. Try and get really good at talking to a camera with a certain cadence and a certain rhythm, and maybe you'll be as good as Andy Stanley one day. How have you learned to do that? Because you know, you you've you've a lot of the people you've mentioned, your friends, your circle, they have significant online presences, and you know, you've cultivated your own. So talk about your. Um, sort of digital journey and some of the inflection points along the way, Chad? Yeah, I think that, you know, what's the worst thing for any communicator to do is listen to themselves. But I have found through failure, you cannot be a good communicator without listening to yourself. And my, my biggest hiccup has been in a digital space. I, you know, I preached to young people for 15 years. Now, when you talk to youth, there is a panic in the back of your mind. There is an alarm going off saying, you better entertain or you're going to lose your crowd. And if you lose that crowd, you're not getting them back. And so I've had to, uh, over the over the last few, you know 10 years or so, try to slow down, try to have more dynamics, more pause. If I want to build, then know how to build. And I think that, you know, you've got to learn how to do that through watching yourself, listening to yourself. And and especially, you know, talking to a camera is knowing on the other side, there is a family sitting on a couch and you are on a 65-inch screen. and You can't hear them laugh, but they're laughing. And you can't hear them say amen, but they're amening. And so just knowing what you're saying is effective and good. To me, the whole thing about communication is always like, listen, if I think it's good, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. 
Mm. If I walk off the stage and my wife's like, that was awesome. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. Then it wasn't good. And so um, I think you've got to just be confident and comfortable in your own skin. Another thought, sorry, real fast on communication is if people hate your communication, that is a good sign. Because I think there's a whole other side that loves it. So I'll hmm. never, I had a friend that uh, preached at, at Passion years ago. And on Twitter, some people were like, you know, blah, 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 and this, that, and the other, and really didn't enjoy the communication style. And I said, that's okay. If, if that group doesn't like, or that small little camp doesn't like your communication, that's only a signal that there's a whole nother side of people that go, I love the way you talk. So even when you know that there's a group that loves the way that you talk, just know there's going to be a whole other side that does not enjoy the way you talk. That is uh, that is really interesting advice because I think all of us want to be popular with everybody. But I want to go back before I, I carry on with that thought to what you said that you talked to, you know, lots of young people, young adults, teenagers, and what you're learning is that you have to slow down, not speed up. A lot of people would, I would have naturally gone in the opposite direction. I, I tend to talk to people like you, leaders. But tell me why slowing down has become more effective at connecting with the next generation. I think um, guys that I really enjoy their cadence. But I'm, Sorry, also, I think that you should sound like the way you want to sound. So this is a personal preference issue. Now, I'm not saying fast communicators are bad. I'm just saying at my age, I'm 42 years old, I'm trying to slow down because that's just the preference. That's the style I'm I'm going for right now. Um, I think a great cadence and, okay, so let's just, Joel Olstein, let's just look yeah. at the numbers. Joel, they say, preaches to 21 million people a week. So there's a digestibility. There's a, you know, there's a reason why you walk into a bar and after the game, it's Joel, you know, or just it's across the world. Listen to his cadence. The BPM. Mm. It's, it's like, you know how pop music just right away, your ear, it's, it's pleasing to the ear. I think if you go too fast and too hard, people are like, oh, slow down. So I think I've just tried to, you know, reinvent. It's amazing. Years ago, Jensen Franklin told me a great story. He, of course, in our world, he's like the, he's the prince of preachers. Imagine your nickname being the prince of preachers. Okay. So that's who we're talking about here is the prince of preachers. I said, if you were to go back and change anything about your preaching, what would you have changed? Is there anything? You're the prince of preachers. And he said, ah, if I go back and change anything, I would have I would have added to my ability the practice of sitting on a stool or teaching or talking quieter. He said, when people brought Jensen Franklin in to preach, they expected Jensen Franklin. But I wish that I would have also exemplified that I can do leadership. I can talk. I can teach. It's like a pitcher. He was using an analogy as a pitcher. If you only got a fastball, you got to throw it every time. But I mm. wish it would have had a slider or a knuckleball. And I like that. I, I think that an effective communicator, like a Bishop Jakes, some of my favorite Bishop Jakes content is him sitting down on a couch with Stephen Furtick 
just talking. And if you're a good communicator, it means I, I think you can do all of it. Hmm. So your platform has grown on Instagram. You've got 300,000 followers plus and uh, on other platforms as well. And thanks for being willing to go there. But I want to talk a little bit about celebrity preachers. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation about that over the last few years. And I'm curious what your thoughts are being one of those celebrity preachers on this whole phenomena we've seen. And, and, you know, it's not unique to this generation, but it's probably social media has amplified that. What are, what are some initial thoughts you have, Chad, on the whole idea of celebrity preachers and perhaps even being considered one yourself? Well, I, I, th I think it's just such an interesting title, isn't it? Just right away when you say it, doesn't it sound so crunchy? It's just, sounds it, sounds, so, it does sound weird coming out of my so mouth. It's so off-putting. It's like, these two things should not, exist together. Like, I just think mm -hmm. it's such, you know, just, it feels wrong. It feels dirty right away. Cause what is a pastor, a shepherd, a servant, you know, what did God say in Jeremiah? I will give you shepherds who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. So what is your job? Your job is to serve. So I understand that where it comes from, if you are a pastor and you have had the opportunity to be in the wake or the space or have the ability to, to pastor celebrities. I understand how that gets coupled together. I'm okay. Listen, my, my biggest beef with this is just please don't ever try and be a celebrity pastor. Mm. Like if you're going for that, if you're going for celebrities, something is, something is clinically wrong with you. Like I'm okay if it just lands in your lap and it's like, like I was a youth pastor for 15 years in, 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 in 10 of it was in Seattle and I loved to pastor high school students. So I'll never forget going to cafeterias and, you know, somehow you, you, you're drawn to the ASB president or the captain of the football team or the basketball guy. And I'm okay with you reaching influential people. I think everybody does. I, it's such a, to me, it's such a God given grace. Think about Paul. Paul says, I, I can't boast about the measure outside of the sphere God's given me. But what God's given is supernatural. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. God's given me a grace. He's given me an influence. This is my meta. This is my sphere. And it's so sovereign. And I think that I'm okay with that. I'm not okay if you go on like, I want to be close to celebrities. I want to be famous. Pastor and famous don't go to, it's, not our aim. We're called to serve. So um, I think another thought with this is that you you got a pastor where you are. So there's not a lot of celebrities in Iowa or Montana. There's not a lot of celebrities hanging around, you know, Delaware. But if you're going to be in LA, guess who's coming to your church or New York or or you know some of these major market cities. So I think you got a pastor where you are. And you got a pastor who God sends you and who shows up at your door. And I think that when I think about the term celebrity pastor, it also makes me think of, are you there to receive? Are you there to give? Like, I just love John Maxwell. John Maxwell's, his whole thing is like, all, all you're called to do is add value. Hmm. Just add value. And if you keep adding value to others, I think crazy doors are going to open up for you to be 
with principles to presidents that fill in the blank for you to add value to people. And so I think I really respect people that put their head down, serve, and just walk through the doors. God's supernaturally open for you to be a voice and a witness and an influence and a servant there. And if God opened that for you, serve there. Love there, give there, help there, pray there, be strong there, but don't try and knock down that door to be known. I think some have gotten exposed for that, and that is a tough fall. Well, it's interesting because at 42, you're of the age where you had a pre-digital ministry, so to speak, right? Where social media wasn't what it is today. And we were comparing notes before we hit record. I think it was about seven or eight years ago. I was on a um, compassion trip to Guatemala. Brad Lominick put it together with Rich Wilkerson. And I don't even think it was Vu Church. I think he was still at his dad's church at the time running the youth department. It was starting right after. Rendezvous. Rendezvous. That's right. It was rendezvous. Bingo, bingo, bingo. And, you know, I could tell, like, that guy is super charismatic. Like, you could see it when you're on a bus with eight people, like, Riches, riches is, is quite the tour de force. Um, but it was one of those things where, you know, I, I'd love for you to narrate sort of what happened in your journey as you rose with, with Rich and with Chris Durso and with Carl Lentz and with other people. It was sort of a, there was a pack of you that kind of, kind of rose up together over the last decade. And like, what was that journey like? How did it happen what did it feel like from the inside? What was that like? Wow. Just even as you're saying it, it just brings back a lot of old memories and, and really fun times. I thought it was just such a, um, unexpected, incredible, fun time. Like again, like you're saying, I started before a digital age and never once did I ever pray, God, I want to go preach at another conference or, Lord, I'd love to get on planes or I'd love to meet. I'll never forget the, the first book. This is a true story. The first book I ever wrote, how, how, to, how to Store Books in Your Garage, self-publish your books. <laughs> so I self-published <laughs> my first book. And it was, it was a book to young people called Do You See What I See? And we had so many kids graduating high school and they're going off to college. I wanted to write them something they could have in their dorm. And so I put out this book. And another pastor calls me and he said, bro, I just saw your, your book. Thank you for sending me a book. He said, do you know that Pastor Brian has a church, has a, a book called The Church That I See? He's like, your title is so close to his. I go, oh, bro. Quote, I will never meet Brian Houston in my lifetime. <laughs> I mean, that's where I was at. Yeah. So... When I think about, you know, where that group went and it was the, I would really, you know, now I can look and go, wow, you're so blessed by association. Mm -hmm. And a rich line that I think is so true is your alignment determines your assignment. Who you align your life to change the trajectory of my life, who I hitched my wagon to and I was blessed by association for many years. And then in the last couple of years, guilty by association. Mm -hmm. So I think you got to be careful with your association because 
you're going to be blessed if they're crushing and doing right, and you're going to be guilty if they're not. So I had a great, it was a fun time. It was an amazing experience. It took me places I never would have dreamt. I met people I never would have clearly, Pastor Brian, never would have imagined. And it's um, it's completely changed our lives. Yeah, and and so there's a couple of directions I want to go, but obviously that didn't all, it wasn't all what it seemed. There was some um, serious, just just sadness and mistakes. And um, yeah, mistakes made along the way as well. And when you look back on that, where were the cracks? If you could, if you could get some of those moments back, um, I'm just curious. I think, um, you know, my Peloton instructor says, no ego, amigo. Mm -hmm. And I think it's always the downfall. You know, pride is that killer. Pride is ego is that killer. My dad used to say, you know, you can't, you can't uh, read your own press clippings. I think there's, you know, what is the, what is the, the old saying? Uh, your gifting will get you in the door, but character will keep you there. I think, you know, there's cracks. It's, it's, it's always character cracks and character cracks usually start to crack off, off pride, off ego, that spirit and something we all battle with. We all battle with ego. We all battle with pride. That, that's just part of humanity. And I think that's why you do need major spiritual disciplines in your life. I think that's why you do need accountability. You do need to submit your life to a board of elders or your pastor. And I think when that stuff gets bypassed, we are in some dangerous waters. And I think that's what we learned was when those practices are not in place, uh, you just go down a slippery slope and Again, I'm quoting my dad here, but like we were just talking, my father-in-law just passed the baton to his church last Sunday. My wife's dad pioneered a church 25 years ago. He could go for another 10 to 15, but he's given it to a young guy while he's still healthy. He's now, you know, he's really big in MFI. Um, and so he'll travel the world and preach and train leaders and so I was at his retirement service and my father's retirement service this last year. They both ended well. So I had a front row seat to see it end well. No asterisk, no like whoopsies, hiccups, like faithful. And both ser services, beautiful. And my dad and I were leaving my father-in-law service and we were joking about, you know, how many guys I wish could have had this. And he said, you know, when you start in ministry, th they're all just stats. He said, but the longer you stay around ministry, your friends become the statistics. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just really true. And hopefully, you know, and by the way, that's this Bible stuff. There's many mm -hmm. guys in the Bible didn't mm -hmm. finish well. You know, we can go through the Old Testament. But I think you, to the best of our ability, what I've learned is we just, we want to go low, go low. That's my kind of man mantra right now is go low, stay humble, stay grounded, stay serving, stay accountable, go low. What does that mean? Like when, when you had some of your friends and mentors um, fall, so to speak, and make mistakes that were, uh, you know, just devastating for everybody involved. What did that do inside you? 
I think that it's, it's it has to scare the heck out of every person. It should scare all yeah. of us because woe is me. It sobers me up. Yeah, yeah, it sobers. It's just very sobering. But it it should never make you point a finger. It should never mm-hmm. make you say how 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 dare they. It should only put a mirror in front of you and go, "What's wrong with me? What am I doing anything that could get me there?" Because I'm a dude. One of my favorite verses right now, Jeremiah. <laughs> Above all else, man, the heart is wicked. I got. I'm a dude. I got a wicked. I, I'm. I'm. I could go down that road just as quick. And so, what do I need to do in my life to keep going and to maintain a a, a soft spirit, submitted spirit, um, sharp mind, all all of the above. You know, fill fill in the blank for for whatever it could be. Your vice. You know, I don't care what it is. It if it's if it's if it's got a hold of you, it could take you out. So preachers and sneakers. <laughs> I remember when that first became a thing a few years ago. You were uh, you were in the Target, and I'm not I'm not a shoe guy. I think I have like eighty dollars shoes on, so maybe I haven't been featured yet. But um, yeah, I'm wondering what that was like. If you could take us back to that, and uh, yeah. what was that like being Chad Veach when preachers and sneakers points out what you're wearing on stage. Yeah, I know. I, I what I remember the most was it wasn't even on stage. If I, what I remember the most, the most vivid memory I have of that whole thing is like I, there was a photo of me like in my office, like okay. eating like some French fries. If I remember, right. I think I had McDonald's fries if I'm not mistaken. But what I remember the most was my. This is going to sound morbid, but this is the this is the truth. So my my brother in law is in Palm Springs getting ready to preach his first ever sermon on a Sunday morning studying by the pool, goes in to get a drink, has a brain aneurysm. It's rushed to the hospital. My wife gets the call. We rush to Palm Springs. He dies. We're in the room praying. I mean, we are praying. I mean, I've never been in an environment like that. We get out of the room and I am in the, the uh, kind of the waiting room area and we kind of calm it down. I I check my phone and I see this thing and I'm mad. I just lost my brother-in-law. So I comment back some. And then about 30, 45 minutes later, maybe an hour later or so, I go, don't respond. Only a fool looks like a fool if you respond to a fool. <laughs> so I I delete the comment. And I think from what I remember, that's what made it go even more he deleted the comment. He said this. That's kind of what I remember the most is that I was in a hospital and I should have never responded. But I think overall, it's probably good that, you know, we as a ministry group got called out of like, hey, are you wearing too much fancy stuff? And people just are turned off by the appearance of flashy, I think. And so I think there was some wisdom that needed to be applied. That's what I took away from it is like, hey, people are, you live in a fishbowl, bro, and you signed up for it. And and John Maxwell, this is a good one. He says, the more responsibility you have, the less rights you have. Mm. So I can cry about it, but I don't have the right to cry about it. I'm a leader. So Mm. I got responsibility. 
And one of the responsibilities I have is to the best of my ability, I can't please everybody, of course, but to the best of my ability, being sensitive that I could provoke people to jealousy or anger. And I got to be, I got to live with a clean conscience on what I'm willing uh, to do with that. How do you respond to, I'm sure you get constantly criticized online. And as you said, you know, if you've got a unique communication style, it's got its upside, but you also have your detractors who are like, ah, I don't like that slow communication or fast communication or that style or, or whatever. How are you learning to process the external voices and have that make the internal dialogue better? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that you're actually, because you're, you're a student of leadership. You really are. I'm, I'm amazed when I see you, like you read, you study, you're not just, oh yeah, this is easy. Like you take your craft really seriously, but how are you processing those outside critical voices so it becomes enriching rather than debilitating or destructive? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think that, you know, um, we have to be very careful. It's, it's, it's an old, such an old cliche saying, right? Like if we live by their praises, we'll die by their criticism. And that's a great saying until it confronts you and until you have to live with that. And I think getting canceled uh, is a great, it's a, it's a gift. I, one of our friends recently got, got canceled. And I was like, best thing that'll ever happen to you, get canceled. Cause you probably up to this point, not on purpose. We're living by the praises and thinking I'm the mm. grand poopa. But when you get canceled, you're like, oh no, that can also happen to me. I think this is why Jesus is like, hey, thanks for the praise, but like, I'm really good. Like it says he wouldn't receive the praise of man. Why? Because he knew that what was in them and what's in us, the ability to praise and the ability to cut. And so if we live by that, we're, we're really going to, I think you're going to make moves to get praise and that's mm. going to be the reaction that you garner and you get. And if I wanted to, I could manipulate my life to look so good and I could garner praise. It's just, it's empty and it doesn't fill a void. And then when I get criticized, it's going to crush me. I'll never forget the, 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 the first book I actually released, not self-published, the first real one, real one. My agent called me that morning to congratulations, just a heads up. On Amazon, people are going to tell you how much they love this book. You will not remember any of the positive comments, but there's going to be someone that gets on Amazon and says how awful this book was and how terrible of a writer you are. And that will be the only comment you remember. And that's just the power of the brain. What, what, the Good brain agent. is so powerful, it keeps no record of success. It only keeps record of failure. And that is just the way we're wired. So I think we got to push back from receiving all this praise because if you live off that, you're going to die when they turn against you. And they will. They cried out for Barabbas, guys. Like They were like, we don't want the guy. We want. So if they're going to turn on Jesus, they're going to turn on you. So how does that not become just a, I don't care what people think, like being canceled is a good thing? Ex explore that a little bit more. I'm, I'm curious. That's a fresh line of thinking. Well, I, I, by the way, I think being canceled about things that are 
right and good and pure are okay. Let's not get canceled for dumb stuff. Okay. And in other just, words, yeah. Uh, if you're hurting and abusing people, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. that's an appropriate cancellation. Yeah, that's a pro- yeah. We, we should never do that again. Okay, I'm um, glad we clarified that. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and I and I think also just side note, like I think we got to be careful because I feel like there's a lot of people that want virality and they want to go viral, and I just I would not go down that road. I don't want to go viral. Steady Eddie wins the race. Like just slow and steady. Just keep plodding. You know, we don't need virality is a it's a scary thing. And so be careful with that, I think. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's go back to where we were before when we were talking about sort of your your rise to national significance in the in the church to the point where people are like, oh yeah, I know who Chad Veach is. Was there any part of that that you were like, oh, this is going to be great, or you were orchestrating that? Because I look at, you know, this podcast or my own platform, I'm I'm always hoping more people listen. Sure. I'm grateful when more people listen. There's a little bit of a strategy there, but yeah. the results have greatly exceeded any effort I have put into it, if you know right. what I mean. So there's a sense that, yeah, it was a, I would be disingenuous to say I wasn't hoping Right. That people would listen. And right. yet, on the other hand, yeah, the minute you start taking that stuff too seriously, the end is near, right? Like, you're in big trouble. So reconstruct your own journey. And and remember, we have a ton of young leaders listening. You know, Chad's 42. He's not 32. So he didn't graduate from high school with Instagram. This, this happened in your 30s. Right. 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 So I'm just curious with that pre-digital memory. Like how much of that was intentional? How much of that was hoped for? Just break it down a little bit more. Yeah, that's a it's a really good question. I'm trying to even remember. I I think I will. I remember feeling really surprised, feeling really lucky, feeling really um, uh, thankful. I again, like these were not things I I didn't get this far in my dreams, and I did. I never mm. set out to do this stuff. I I'll never forget. This is this is going back to the Brian Houston quote. I will never forget. So I'm in a small town called Puyallup, Washington, pastoring this youth group of like, we had like 500 high schoolers showing up on a, on a Sunday night. And and it was this amazing time. And I'll never forget one day, God, I really felt God speak to me. And I felt like God said, I want you to begin to network. And network to me was like a cuss word. Yeah. yeah. Like I grew up around church. I grew up around networkers. And I was like, network? Because I wasn't going to conferences. I wasn't attending anything. I wasn't trying to get into green rooms. I wasn't trying to meet anyone. I was just like, this is my lot. This is my life. And I'm loving it. And I really felt God say, I for where I'm taking you, I really I want you to start to go out and meet guys. So I'll never forget. I went, bought some tickets, and I went to a big youth conference of like 4,000 and one year I was there meeting them and the next year I was there preaching and it kind of happened like that. And, and once I preached on that platform overnight, it felt like invitations happened. So I was surprised. I wasn't reaching. I wasn't praying. I wasn't maneuvering. Now, once things started happening, I started to realize I've got to make decisions. I've got to take a risk here because this feels like I'm, I'm on a path that's going to take me into something I've not even, I've never seen modeled for me in my world. And I've got to make, so I remember I had to 
make the decision to stop my full-time job as a youth pastor to go on the road for two years because of the invitations that were coming in. But that was just because I felt like I'm going to start a church one day. I'm not ready to go do that. The road is really opening up. I really enjoy preaching at places, meeting the pastors, going to lunch afterwards, meeting people. I really love that whole experience. Let's do that for a while. So there wasn't a time where I was like, I think that I can, if I preach there, do, I just have, maybe it's the, it's, it's the daily Bible reading in me that, you know, it's slap the silly out of you if, if you try and get like that. And that's why I get very put off by people that are trying to leverage and monetize, leverage it. If you're in ministry and you're leveraging and monetizing, to me, you're missing out on the spirit of what all this is about. Mm. Well, and the other thing that I think is is different for, you know, leaders in their 50s or older or, or, or 40s is you were doing something, you were communicating, and you saw this surge. Whereas I think it's easy to go online now and just say, no, I just want to go viral for the sake of going viral. Right, right. I did this dance, I did this thing, I did whatever, and now I'm big. But but I think influence is best stewarded when it arrives, when it arises out of a life message, when it arises out of some blood, sweat, and tears. You know, as my wife would say, it's a it's a long road to success, or it's a it's a you know overnight success is a long night. That's what she would say, and she would say it much better than I just said it. I but like anyway, that. I like that. Yeah, it's that, a, it's that a long is true. night. Mm-hmm. It's a long night. There were years and years of you doing nothing, and it's not like oh, I pressed go on the strategy, and the strategy took off. Yeah, how do you how do you steward the level of influence that you have? How do you how do you try to steward that right now? Well, I I think the the old thought that I've tried to hold on to and and regurgitate to our guys here is like the fastest way to lose influence is to not be aware of it. Mm. And I think the more self awareness you have of your power, your influence, which again is supernatural, uh, you can make tactical moves, which is just wisdom from God. But I think. The sovereignty, I think we got to always add the ingredients of sovereignty in this stuff. God is the one that promotes. And if God wanted you to have a microphone, he'd give you a microphone. If he doesn't want you to have one, I don't think he's going to give you one. Like this is, it's like Samuel comes and he's like, the next king's here. And Jesse's like, oh, it's got to be this guy. And he's like, nope. Well, then it's got to be this guy. And it's the guy that God chose. I think God chooses people. We and, and by the way, you and I can attest, there's smarter, more gifted, more talented people out there. But for whatever reason, promotion cometh not from the East nor the West. It just, God promotes. So I think that um, with influence, you need to be very aware of how powerful you are. How, you know, sometimes some of our guys will say, you know, a couple of years ago, you said this to me. And I go, I said, <laughs> I said what? Yeah, you know, you, you, you said, no, no, no. They, they remember. They, they think about. That could live rent-free in somebody's head. So I think the quickest way to lose your influence is not to realize how much you have. You have more people watching you and looking to your life and listening to your words, and there's a power behind you 
And I think that with influence, now I don't have all the influence in the world, but guess what? It's my influence that I'm thankful for. And to the best of my ability, I will steward it. But stewardship to me, like what you're saying, is not just taking care of what I've got. It is also trying to turn five into 10. Hmm. And, and so there's a tension there. How do I turn five into 10? Well, the better I am at my craft and the more I, people I want to reach and if my motives are right in that. And so I think that it's never just like, this is my lot. It has to be like what God was saying. Like, no, there's more and do what you can do to be a good influence and, and manage what you got. No, that, that is really good advice. And I think it applies whether you're stewarding 50 people, 500, 5,000, or half a million. It's the same thing, right? You, you have that influence. Okay, as we wrap up, I want to ask you, what are you focused on right now? What are you thinking about? What gets you excited? What gets you worried? What are you, what are you focused on? I'm, you know, I'm most excited about the opportunity of, of reaching people that don't know who God is. Um, that gets me the most excited. Like I, I think about a guy down the street in Riverside named Greg Laurie, and I'm kind of looking at him going like, he's winning. Hmm. I don't got a lot of friends laying around that fill up a stadium three to four nights a year and see thousands and thousands of people come to Jesus that probably wouldn't have said yes. So I get excited about people that don't know hope, don't know love, don't know that there's a God that's obsessed with them. They have no idea of the love, the acceptance, and forgiveness that is found in Christ. So I get most excited about the opportunity of evangelism. I would say that that probably gets me the most excited. And in saying that, that gives me excited to raise up a bunch of guys and gals that want to go do the work and want to go flip the world upside down and want to go tell people about this amazing message we have and this amazing guy that we serve. So that's what I'm thinking about is how do we reach people that nobody's reaching? And then how do you raise up effective, confident, courageous leaders that can go and, and think about Jesus? He's like, you guys go. You two, you go there. You two go there. You two, all my authority I give to you. And so at this, at this part of my life, I think it was, uh, what's his name at Bayside? Ray. He said, oh yeah, Ray Johnson. Yeah. Ray Johnson says, you got to ask yourself, do you want to have a platform or do you want to be a platform? And at this part of my life, I'm saying, God, make me a platform where I can send guys out and raise them up and men and women that would look and go, wow, the harvest is plentiful and we're excited to go reach it. But by that, do you mean like a platform for other people to stand on, for other people yes, to get their start I mean. on? Yeah. Yes. Ray has embodied that so well. I've got to have him on the podcast at some point. I've had his daughter on, or she will be on soon, but uh, I've got to have Ray on. And, you know, I think, uh, by the way, if Brad Lominick is listening, we we are both friends of Brad Lominick. That is, that is supposed to be his next book. So about twice a year, I just remind him he's got to write that book. <laughs> I love so. Brad so much. And Brad, yeah, we're done with the three H's. Let's get the new book going. Uh-huh. Yeah. Come on, Brad. Time time to do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chad, you've got uh, a bunch of books out there, I guess. And uh, tell us where people can find you online these days and your latest. Yeah. Um, our church website is just zoechurch.org. And then uh, I have one under my name, chadveach.org. And 
just came out with a new book on prayer and I'm really excited about it. It's it's a kind of a big passion project that um, I'm really wanting everyone. I just can't imagine where you and I would be without prayer. So want everybody to learn what prayer is and what prayer is not and how to do it. And so I'm really excited about this book. And what's the book called? It's called Worried About Everything Because I Pray About Nothing. That's a great line. That's a great line. Just a play on Philippians uh, 4, uh, 6 mm-hmm. and 7, Be Anxious and Nothing. That's awesome. Chad, it's been a joy to have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It was good to finally sit down with Chad. It had been a long time coming. You know this. If you're a regular listener, we got show notes for you. We've also got transcripts. You can find that at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 525. Also, make sure you check out a couple of free opportunities this month. It's October. We're in it. Nobody's on vacation anymore. And it's time to roll up our sleeves for 2023. So check out my Church Growth Accelerator. It's absolutely free. It's a two-day, one-hour each day event. And I will show you five different ways you can grow your church and give you a game plan to do it. It's free. Go to churchgrowthaccelerator.com. And it's brought to you by Pro Media Fire. Sign up today for their free recession-proof growth strategy webinar. Check out promediafire.com slash recession proof. Well, next time up, we're going to talk about control. And I've got Sharon Hottie Miller on the podcast. Here's an excerpt. What I don't think of as much is the pastor who works and works and works and works, never observes Sabbath, never takes a sabbatical, has no boundaries with work because they believe that if they do, the whole thing is going to fall apart. And that can actually look like sainthood, you know, Mm -hmm. like look how committed they are to the church, you know, but it's really that's a control issue is what it is. But it it looks much more admirable than the guy who's just burning everything to the ground, but they're both rooted in the same struggle. Yeah, that one was kind of self-therapy because I may have some control issues that I'm still wrestling down. Also coming up, Brian Koppelman, the creator of Billions. Les McEwen is back. I'm so excited about that. John and McCray Acuff. Chris Anderson from TED Talks. Who else have we got? Patrick Lencioni, James Clear, Erwin McManus, and much, much more. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, hey, one more time, churchgrowthaccelerator.com. It's free. It's an event October 24th, 25th. We would love to have you and your team there. And I'm serious about helping your church grow next year. I can't guarantee results, but I can give you a template that I believe is going to make a big difference. So bring your team and head on over to churchgrowthaccelerator.com to register for free. And we will catch you next time. If you enjoyed today's episode, thank you so much for listening. Please leave a rating and review. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership.